Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the World of Ink Network, founded in 2011 by Virginia Grenier and Marsha Cook. Their vision was to start a radio show that helped writers reach their dreams. The World of Ink has a wonderful group of hosts who are dedicated to delivering shows to entertain and inspire listeners. The World of Ink Network shares resources that introduce tips, products, and services to help strengthen, support, and challenge those who love writing and the written word. Their hope is to bring not only authors, illustrators, and publishers together, but screenwriters, directors, and producers. New to the network will be a variety of special shows, bringing not only entertaining shows, but informative discussions on timely subjects. To learn more about us, go to www.worldofinknetwork.com or visit us on our Facebook and Twitter pages. Thank you for your support and enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. It's Marcia Cook on the World of Ink Network and Michigan Avenue Media. And we have a great show tonight. This is a little later than usual, but I know a lot of us are up late anyway, so it doesn't really matter. I'm Central Time, so it's like 9 here, and Eastern is 10. But we have two guests that are on Pacific Time. So I'll introduce them to you in a few seconds. And I just want to say one message that uh, next Wednesday, Jack Remick will be on the show, which I speak about him all the time. He'll be on at uh, 4 Central, no, 3 Central, 4 Eastern. And uh, it'll be another great show, and Jack will be reading uh, from his new work, Citadel, and it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, tonight, I have it's sexual behavior in today's world, which is a topic that really people are talking a lot about, and uh I have a lot of erotic authors on and romance, and we always enjoy those shows. So tonight we have Sarah Martinez and David Steinberg, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves, and then we're going to open the discussion. And if anybody does want to call in, the number is 714-242-5259. And the chat room might be working for some people. It does not seem to work on air when I'm on air now. I don't know why. We'll figure that out eventually. But... Uh, Feel free to call in 714-242-5259. And right now we will start the show. And I think we're going to let Sarah talk first because Sarah introduced me to David. And this is going to be a really interesting show. There's a lot of things that uh, you will learn today that, believe me, there's a lot you'll learn. (laughs) Every time I was Mm -hmm. reading through the book, I'm going like, really? Okay. So, all right, here we go, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Hey, Marcia. Thank you for having us on. I it's been a while since you've been on, I know. And Jack yeah, Remick what, was the one that introduced years. me to you. It's, yes, you know. and if Jack's listening, thanks, Jack. <laughs> Jack is great, I know. I'm always talking about the things he says because they kind of st- stay in my mind always. So yeah. you have a book, though, well, but your book will be maybe eventually republished? Yes, yeah, it's out of print at the moment, but I can get it back up at some point. Um, but what I, why I brought David to you is because um, we were brought together by Marco Vasi, who is no longer with us. Um, but I was very interested in him, and I found a book called The Red Thread of Passion through a writer that I knew at, uh, from Taos. And she knew the author of that book, and then 
you know, through several different channels, I met David because somebody had said, you know, if you're interested in Marco Vasi, you've got to meet David Steinberg. And so, you know, things we had long conversations, all this great stuff. He told me about a bunch of articles that he had just sort of sitting. He wasn't sure what he was going to do with them. And I was with Book Trope at the time, and I said, you know, I would love to bring that to them if I could in some way be involved. I would love that. So. Um, I brought it to them, and I worked as a developmental editor, um, did some marketing on it, um, and then a couple bombs dropped sort of in the middle of my lap while right at the beginning of getting this book ready to go. And I remember David asking me um, if we still wanted to go ahead with the book because I had all this stuff going on, and I said, absolutely, because I really, really thought this book had to get out no matter what. So, um the things that he writes about, the way that he writes about, the the, the photographs that are in here, um, it's all about happiness. And sex just so often seems to get kind of clogged up in, you know, shame and, and hiding and secrecy and all of this. And so I just think David's work is so important. So that's why I wanted to make sure the book got out. So that's how right. I got involved. And, you know, as everything with books, it does – they find an audience, you know. I mean, you know, some topics are a little more intense than others, but there is an audience out there for a lot of different things that people don't realize. Yeah. Well, and I, David and I have had this discussion. I've, you know, kind of thought that there was a different audience or there was a different potential audience than I think we've seen actually um, so far. But women like me who've, you know, got kids and have, you know, at the time, I had this safe little bubble. I was writing my books, and, you know, everything was kind of peachy for me. And I thought, that's when you need this stuff the most, is because you, you need to be sort of energized and shot through with the energy that this kind of writing has. And it's not, to me, this book is not erotic. I mean, it is erotic, but it's it talks about sexuality, but it's not in the sense that people always kind of plug romance with a lot of sex in it. David's book is about human people interacting, which is a, which is yeah, a good yeah, thing if to I, say. If, if yeah, I David. Yes, yeah, yeah, David. Go ahead and tell everybody about yourself a little, and then you know what you were going to say now. Well, so I, I was just going to uh, first. Of all, just to mention the name of the book, because that's nice for people to know. It, it, yes, we uh, did. Which this. is this thing we call <laughs> sex, which is a. Uh, I wrote a monthly column on sex and gender issues. Uh, for about 15 years, um, starting around in the early 90s. And this book is a number of those columns uh, reworked, plus some new material um, dealing with all different sorts of issues about sex and about gender. And and, the, and photographs. The wor- photographs. And, and also, yeah, photographs. In, in 1990, and this is a whole other story, but in 1999, I started doing what I call fine art sexual photography, which is um, black and white um, art photography of of people, regular people like you and me, um, being sexual at home. And and the the purpose of that photographic work, which is similar to what I was just going to say about the purpose for the written work, is to try to. Sh- shift the conversation around sexuality um from from what we see so much um in the media where uh people are easy e- either crazy um afraid of sex or obsessed 
uh, with sexuality in in you know as a kind of exotic uh, uh, part of life. And and what I'm what I was trying to do is uh, have a, address sexuality and from a more uh, positive, down to earth, um, accepting point of view the the first book that i that i did on on erotic stuff which was called erotic by nature and came out in 1988 was intended as an alternative to pornography there were a bunch of us in the feminist community who had you know various critiques of pornography and at some point we said to ourselves look if we think that we don't like pornography because of the way it depicts women because of the way it depicts sexuality doesn't it then fall on our shoulders to come up with something better? Uh, if we leave all the erotic or sexual imagery and sexual um, discussion to pornography, then it's going to be uh, twisted, you know, and because pornography has its own particular angle and marketing and so on. So our attempt was to come up with an alternative that talked about sexuality in more what I would call more real terms, at least the the parts of sexuality that I think are important, which has to do with the way people connect with each other and uh, and get to know each other through the, through the act of being sexual. So, erotic by nature was a collection of erotic fiction, uh, po- uh, sh- short stories, poetry, and photography that was all um, addressed to sexuality, but from a, a different point of view. And the, the photography that I do with couples, and I've shot, well, close to 200 couples now, ranging in age from 19 to 72, and all sorts of different people and so on, is to, is to remind everybody that sex is not about glamorous celebrities, and uh, it, but is about people like you and me, that we're all sexual people that we all at least have the potential to be wonderfully alive sexual people that we need to stop thinking that we need to be somebody different from who we are in order to be sexually acceptable, sexually desirable, sexually interesting, sexually proper. So right, you know, it's that, not that, only what it's it's it goes into a lot of different areas that you can, you know, not just one mode you know there's just not one type so and that's what you see in your book there's so many different types of feelings that people you know you can see it in the photographs though too of yeah that, how that, they're you know people that you, you don't have to be um un, under 30 you know um no, thin and glamorous right, right, to be right. to be a, a, a first class sexual person so I and I, I make a point of especially shooting, uh, photographing people who tend to be discounted as sexual people, um, heavy people, older people. Uh, I've, I've done a whole series of people with uh, disabilities uh, right. whose sexuality is constantly being ignored and denied. Uh, just to make the point, because I think we're being told over and over again in either direct ways or indirect ways that we're not okay sexually that that we have to be either what we desire is wrong or who we are is wrong and uh, you know there's a lot of money to be made by telling people that they're not okay sexually and then selling them all sorts of expensive products to try to compensate for that 
and I, that, you know, I think that that's a lot of the the motivation that goes on. There's a lot of uh, money to be made by making people frightened about sexuality and insecure about their own sexuality. So, in the face of all those forces, um, you know, there are some of us who are, I, I think, just trying to stand up to say, look, um, can we just be more realistic and more sensible about this and more accepting and more in in praise of ourselves. I think they, it actually goes along with the world, too. I mean, you know, I think people are so critical of each other, and sometimes really, you know, it's not necessary. But And I think we're critical of ourselves, you know. I mean, you know, sometimes you look in the mirror and you go, oh, I don't like this about me, I don't like that about me. But then there is always someone out there that will like like you for what you are. Not not having to be somebody else. Right, right. Yeah. Well, and I would like what I was thinking about when he was talking about that is the live um, photo shoot that you did at Seif um, like four years ago, three years ago, something like that. And the thing that struck me about this is that the two people who were being sexual there, I I gotta guess their age is like late fifties, early sixties. The man never got an erection. The woman's moans were like electric, right? So it it was a completely eye-opening experience to me, and it was so completely different from watching pornography that that I really feel like that is what sort of excites me about David every time I read something of his or that when I'm talking to him about any of these kind of subject matter is this humanness and this way that the shame is completely taken away, right? I mean, yeah. nobody's performing. Nobody's having to be perfect. Nobody, they're just kind of totally getting off, and everybody's getting off right along with them. And David was probably sweating under the lights or whatever, but that was just a beautiful thing to me, and I'm just grateful that I was able to be somewhat a part of so, that. So after you've, you know, after you've photographed them, how... how how do they feel about are they happy with the photographs you've taken or you know oh yeah want, almost yeah. i mean uh, like i said i you know it's been well almost 20 years now that i've been doing this work and it, it's really amazing it's it, and what i what i tell the couples that i work with I and mean, i started photographing friends and it kind of grew from there and so now the people that i photograph are, are really people that i that i don't know until they contact me, or or we make uh, an arrangement to to do it. Which a, is probably very interesting, because you've probably met oh, so I, many it, people that you never would have met any other way. Well, not only have met them, but I've you You're know they've them. invited yeah. me into this most personal, yeah. private part of their lives, and it's it's an honor, really. And I and I try to um, respond to that honor by by how I photograph them, which is to say, it's all for me. It's all about. I mean, think think about it. The question is, if pornography is fantasy, which is really what it's all about, and what we want to do is do photographs that are not fantasy but reality, how do you photograph real people being sexual in real ways since there at least needs to be this third person there with his camera, with his lights, and whatever? How How can anything be real in that circumstance? And all the work that I do with the couples is designed to make them feel comfortable, comfortable with me as a person, that I'm not this creepy guy um, wanting to get my rocks off by my watching pictures, them, right, be right. sexual. 
um, comfortable with the idea of being photographed. Um, and in, in my case, usually the way I work with people, I mean, people can pay me, but the other way is that I publish the photographs. There's a, a magazine in Norway in particular that's been publishing a lot of my photography. So people, most of the people that I photograph are aware that these photographs are going to go out into the world, so they have to be comfortable with that too. And so that's why I photograph people at home. I don't pose them. I don't tell them what to do. I, I explain to them, look, I'm going to be there. All I want you to do is relax, be yourselves, and have a good time. And if, if you're in a good place with each other, uh, I will get amazing photographs. You don't have to worry about handing me photographs or doing something in particular. And uh, although, you know, there are much more um, skillful photographers in terms of the craft of photography, I think, and, and than me in the world, I do think I'm good at making people feel comfortable and relaxed. Well, that's important. And, that's important. And that, the result of that is that I'm able to to get them. There's a spontaneity that happens between them, which I can then capture in my photographs, which you know I think is somewhat unique to the work that I do, and 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 that's the whole point. And and to answer your original question, how do the people feel? Uh, people are just amazed and delighted. I tell people this is the only way you will ever see what you look like in the act of being sexual. Your your partner knows what you look like in the act of being sexual, but you don't know what you look like yourself. You can't you can't look in the mirror. That's that's not the same thing. Right. But right. It, but and I know this because I've posed uh, for other photographer friends who do similar work with various partners over the years, and and you end up with these photos, and you say, oh, my God, look look at me, look at us. Aren't we wonderful? And and people are, are able to see that. And, you know, I think we all, we all can use confirmation about that. You look at the photos and you say, oh, I, I am a wonderful sexual person. And I've had so many people just be validated at a at a profound level um i'm I'm thinking in particular this isn't just for these people but uh some of the people with disabilities that i've that i've shot uh who are dealing with issues about their bodies um and what their bodies can and can't do that uh when they see themselves obviously sexy and beautiful and and wonderful in the photographs it's a tremendous affirmation for them yeah i think you know i mean how do you think though in the last you've done this 20 years what are the differences that you found in people's attitude and how they pose even for the pictures do they or not pose but are they you know, you know, is it much different, or is it really basically the same? Because sex is sex, but over the years, you mean the same, found, the same now compared to when yes, I started. Twenty years, right? I, I mean, are their minds? You know, it's much more freer society, I think, than twenty years. Well, it was sixty. You know, it was in the sixties or was seventies. It was free, but it's so much freer, I think, now than it was before. I, am I wrong? I yes, don't know. I, it just I, seems I, like it. I think that's that's true, and I think the way that that affects me is that there are just more people willing to consider the the idea of being right. photographed in, in this way. I think it's really hard for me to say because the individual couples that I shoot are so different yeah. from each other that yeah. you know to compare 
the last five couples that I shot compared to the first five couples that I shot. Yeah. I, I don't I don't know what what to say. You know, some people are but, but your book is quiet in their sexuality. That. Some people are passionate in their you sexuality. Have, I mean, I've you have poetry I, just, in the. I mean, it's not. Just, oh, it's beautiful. It's you know. Right, I that's mean, what I'm saying it's not just, and it's very thorough and in depth. So it's not something that's just you know pictures. You know, it's emotion. Yeah, no, that's 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 true, and you know, for me, as I mean, it's just I I just love doing this work. I get to see these people in in such an intimate, personal, um, dramatic, powerful way, um, and and magic happens. I got I I got into this work because I was just intrigued with. What is the energy field around these three people um, in a room together, and and what's happening uh, in, in this circumstance? How do you, how does this work? And um, it's it's shamanistic. It really is. It's a it's a very um, transportive experience, not just for the couples that I'm shooting, uh, but but for me as well. And and they're from all different walks of life. So that's what's interesting about it also. It's not just one type of of person. You know, it's just for a lot of different types of people. Yep. And, yep. I mean, it is a very thorough book. There's no doubt about that. So, Sarah, did you want to say anything? Because I don't want to leave you out of this. Oh, no, totally. This oh, is okay. it's great <laughs> stuff. I started it off with the, talking about the pictures, so I think we're on the right track. Yeah, yeah, and I think that, you know, I think for people, I think a lot of times, like, you know, um, I had mentioned the story, you know, like we do have a lot of erotic authors on, and, you know, there's a lot of people that don't, they will, you know, they, for some reason, like even with Fifty Shades, it's I didn't want to bring that up, but I will anyway, but Fifty Shades is great. Okay, <laughs> so everybody, you know, they don't want to talk about sex. They don't want to, you know, they're... You know, they go, oh, I won't read an erotic book. And they all read Fifty Shades of Grey, but they don't even want to talk about it. And and actually, when it's at the show, in the theaters, they didn't want to go because they go like, oh, I can't watch that or do that. You know what I mean? I'm not interested in that. So, and they, it's like secret, you know, a lot of them. And that's why they, you know, they put it on their Kindle or whatever, and they didn't want to even hold the book. So that's kind of strange, I find, because, you know, it seems to be a, a... different the market is out there and it's like i didn't realize that till i started doing shows how many people actually do books like this are interested in this and how many people really just go oh no i can't read that that is just drives me crazy that's why i have a lot of shows like this because i mean it's just the freedom that people can read what they want do what they want and why do they have to be so they're constricted in their own minds but well, they may yeah, add yeah. a couple things yeah. to that. Yeah. So just yeah. real quick, and then because I know David probably has a lot no, to say about on. this, but yeah. um, Twilight and Shades of Grey were books that. So this kind of leads into why I thought there would be a greater a great audience for David's book with housewives, with you know people that had kids yeah. didn't right. have you know a big hard rock husband and and the whole thing was that. One woman in particular, no, actually two in particular after reading Twilight wanted to have sex with their husbands. So there was something that was sadly missing from their marriages that they got from that book. And Shades of Grey, I've had similar conversations with other women 
the same type of thing. So my opinion is that they actually started talking more about sex, more about what they wanted, more about what they liked after reading those books and discussing them. But the thing that I, I felt was sad about that is that these are two books where, you know, basically the protagonists are children almost. And so what David's got here is are real people, real adults. sex, humanity, yeah, adults. adults. Yeah. I mean, there's some discussion of the teen sex piece. I love, love, love. But, you know, that's another thing. But, you know, it, this goes back to the whole thing. You know, you've got Playboy, you've got Penthouse, you've got all this porn, you've got all yeah. these different things where everybody, the only time you're deserving of sexual attention or intimacy is if you weigh 105 pounds and you, you know, you've got to wear a lot of makeup and all this kind of stuff. Or for men, and you I have, high, you know, you've got to have shoes on and, with a six-inch heel. You know, and yeah, uh, and men, David, you can tell me too. You know what the expectations are. You've got to have a lot of money. You've got to have muscles. You've got, you know, all this stuff for somebody to be able to love you and want to have sex with you. And this is just not the case, right? In the yeah, real that, world, no, it's true. But when then that's that's the point for me. When when I have shows of my photographs, and you know, people, I I watch people looking at the photos and what. What people get, they look at the photos and they say, oh, that's like me, instead of, oh, that's unlike me. You know, and I think, yeah. and that's, uh, to me, that that's the bottom line. I mean, not, you know, everybody has ways that they would like to Im- improve on their sexual existence. You know, whatever's going on, people have issues in their relationships, people have issues personally about how they feel about their sexuality. It's not like we we're we're just walk around with perfect sexuality by any means. But that's very different from you know the this information that we're being fed all the time about being inadequate. So, you know, I when I what I hope and what what people tell me about the photography but also about the stuff that I write is is that it's I want people to be able to embrace uh, start from a position of embracing themselves as sexual people and if they then have issues that they need to work on or want to work on that they that they build from a positive from a positive base basically that so a lot of my writing you know I, we're told that if we have the, I mean, this is one of the things that I think is now changing in the mass culture, and part of it is through all the porn that's around. I mean, play, you know, you mentioned Playboy and Penthouse. You know, this is antiquity at this point. I mean, all the the kids, <laughs> yeah. the, the kids' introduction to sexuality is all the video porn that that they find online, and and everybody. You know, in the way I'm 73 years old, in the way that that Playboy was for us when we were kids, like the first notions, you know, the first, well, what is this? What is this stuff that I'm getting myself yeah. into? Uh, yeah. uh, that's been replaced by a whole different world that that's out there now, right? So, but I think because of the way the porn world works, which is that it's really about fantasy it's really intended as uh, masturbatory aids basically and you know the stuff that that you want to masturbate to may or may not be the stuff that is going to be central to your life but i do think that people are somewhat more accepting about the fact that 
normal, so-called normal, you know, healthy sexuality involves more than um, heterosexual intercourse in the missionary position. You know, I think people understand um, that you you may be um, gay, straight, or bisexual. You may um, yeah. be interested in BDSM. You that that the, the things that uh, inspire you sexually that aren't what you see everybody else talking about doesn't necessarily mean that you're sick, that there's something wrong with you. I think people are, and I think we, you know, we're talking about how divided our society is at present, which is becoming so obvious in so many ways. I think one of the ways that this is really true is how people feel about sexuality. There are people whose notions about sexuality are basically accepting uh, of diversity, accepting of um, of the beauty of sexuality, and then there's a whole another group of people that are just rejecting that uh, uh, violently, and um, and the, the you know the division between those two worldviews, I mean, sort of sexual worldviews, but I think it extends into political worldviews and and all sorts of other stuff because I really do think that um, our sexuality is uh, shapes shapes our politics, shapes our personalities, and so on. That those divisions, well, definitely, let's put it this way, it's definitely out in the open now where it never, they weren't really talking about it, but there's so many issues now that are out in the open and people are talking about it, and maybe it will change some of the tightness that the world feels, and, and people judging people might change a little. Well, you know. what I see is that it's it, – in fact, what's happening is it's changing a lot. You yeah. know, people's attitudes about it, yeah. about homosexuality uh, in the last 50 years have, have changed radically. People's attitudes about women's sexuality yes, in general, that women are entitled to their own sexual feelings and aren't just responding and, and keeping the brakes on men with their crazy sexuality. That whole, uh, that whole notion – is out there and is it's not going away. You know well, the I notion. Well, I think it's also now that you don't have to be like 110 pounds. I mean, you know, they do have. You know, um, this is us. That new show that's on, and um, the main character is quite heavy. And the most beautiful thing is that the guy that's in love with her, he just thinks she's just beautiful, and he just loves her so. It's so nice to watch because you yeah. hardly ever see that on TV, where. Somebody isn't perfect, but he, in his eyes, he only sees the beauty in her. Right. It doesn't right. matter how much she weighs, you know, and which is a good thing because I think people are so conscious and they don't eat. You know, when you watch the Academy Awards or the Emmys, you look at these, they're beautiful, but they look like they haven't eaten in about a, a year, you know, and they're sure. hungry too, you know, and they're so thin and you go like, how could somebody be that thin? I mean, you know, they're really, because even on TV, you know, they look thin, so imagine in real life. And so I think that that's a good thing. And when someone comes on the air that's not perfect and everybody loves that show, maybe it's letting or people. Or how about they are perfect? For the other, in the eyes of the beholder, yeah. Yeah, or like I mean, the guy, yeah, that's, yeah, he loves that's her. The thing. He doesn't How see anything. You are perfect. It is perfect. It is. Which if is I hard for people, though. It is. It's hard for people to do <laughs> to look at themselves and think they're. You know, it it is a difficult thing. You know, it's really nice if you could just look at yourself and you go like, "Oh, I look fabulous today." But how many people can do that? 
you know, it's hard well, to do Well, Marcia, did you did you read the piece about blood in this book, this thing we call yeah. sex? Want to talk about that? Well, no, I just I yeah. wanted to bring that up because I think yeah. it's important here that, you know, blood and sex and women's cycles and all of that has been a huge source of shame. And here in this book is a man talking about this and building it into the whole sexuality and the whole game that they're playing, everything that they're doing incorporates something that is usually shameful and awful and and tends to be, you know, something that women fear and men fear possibly. And here it was just beautifully done, I think, the way he, I think he men, went into right, that. I think it's know. a subject that's never talked about a lot of times, and if it is, it's like, oh, no, can't do it or can't even talk about it. They, you know, a lot of the subjects in nuts, the book. it's right? It happens once yeah. a month. Yes. Yes, it's crazy. I, I mean, it's I like know. eating or going to the bathroom or anything. I mean, it's it's natural. It's it life. happens. It is part of life. Yeah. Right. You know, and and well, you know, so, it's it so is, part, it's part of the thing about can can we just get a little bit less crazy about this and just yeah. come down to earth and deal with matters relating to sex the way we deal with other matters in our lives instead of, you know, going off but crazy But I think sometimes every time. people just can't talk about, you know, they, they they can't. It's a subject that a lot of people don't want to talk about. And um, even as you see, like, you know, right now in Hollywood what's going on, you know, people knew something was wrong, but they just let it slide. And they were successful people that could have made a difference, you know. And right now it's like... It's it's right in the forefront. I, I'm sure it'll like you know. I mean, these this has been going on for years. I you know I don't know if it's a shock to people, but it's you know they need to deal with it. But women for years have just let it slide and not well, said I think anything. I think I think that's one of the things that's that's in the process of changing. You know, and yes. and I mean we're going through a very crazy. Time, I think. Yeah, I but, think we are right now. But yeah, at least from right my now. point of view, it's a, it's a things are really changing in a positive, accepting direction in in social terms and you know um, um, sociological terms. Because it's never good terms. to hold back, but I think it's, people do. Are changing. They did that. It, it's frustratingly slow, but in historically, I think it's things are changing very quickly, and I think that a lot of the sort of right wing reaction that that we're seeing about all sorts of things are because for a lot of people it's frightening how quickly things are are changing in in the direction that we've all that we've just been talking about all these changes yeah. that feel positive to us feel frightening to other people and the people who are most afraid of change uh, that, that you know who want the world to go back to where it was I don't know, in the 1950s or something like that, and uh, and are facing the reality that history just is not going back there. Back. No, Those no, I, don't, I are, think people don't terrified. want to go back. Right, right. You know, even you know when I think one of the first shows that they started, you know, with um, uh, Mad Men, you know, in the 50s when they were showing that, you know, and then when you're watching that, you're going like, oh my God, look at what's going on there, and it's so. It's you, a lot of people. The reaction was because I talked to a lot of people about these things, and they just couldn't believe how it was in those times, and you know what they the secretaries, and they just did what they had to do because 
that's the way it was. They didn't have an. They couldn't be who they were. They had to be who their boss wanted them to be, or their husband wanted them to be. And I think that who would want to go back to that? You know, I mean, it, we've progressed well, so I much. I think we know who that is. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what yeah. we do know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and that's yeah. And, and it, it's really, it's, you know, people who think that nothing is changing um, are either too young or don't remember how yeah. it was, you know, whether it's for women, for gay people, for people of color, uh, you know, and, and, and I understand that we've got a long way to go. I'm not trying to, you know, uh, sweep anything but under hopefully the rug. But hopefully people will stand up for what they believe in, which is important. Well, I, I think inevitably people are doing that more and more. I mean, you're yeah. seeing that now with all the people speaking up about, um, which is you know, thing. feeling yeah. sexually assaulted one way or another. And people are saying, you know, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be quiet about this anymore or you know or our black lives matter about the way police treat yes. black people or yes. you know the i mean the days the days it's not so long ago that the police raided gay clubs and yes. you know beat people up and put them in jail uh yeah. just for being there and this was like standard practice it's you know, for you know, I understand gay people, and I, I I do a lot of work with the transsexual community, and you know, trans people even more um, are subject to attack and and uh, physical attack, verbal attack, murder, and whatever. So I I, I understand uh, how how much this prejudice continues, but it's nothing like it was not even right. years ago. I, I, it's I nothing like it was 10 years like, ago. Yeah, I've had shows where I have, and actually I've had several shows um, for having mothers of gay children on, and um, along with, some, you know, um, some young kids and, you know, teens, or not teens, in their 20s, and how their life with their parents and the church or wherever and it's always very interesting and hearing the mothers you know there's a lot of mothers that are very acceptant and accepting and that's a good thing because otherwise the children have such a hard life if if their parents don't accept this for them because then they're alone and that's sad oh absolutely so marcia i was going to jump in with this one that um my daughter came out to me when she was i think 11 and it wasn't it wasn't a big thing. It was just kind of, okay, let's, you know, and the other thing, and I think I talked to David about this too, is that sexuality, at least when I'm looking through the lens that she's giving me of middle school, Mm -hmm. it seems so fluid. There's this term pansexual that they throw around. They're bisexual. They're trying on all kinds of different hats, which is just, you know, a blast to me that they can even understand that stuff. They can talk about it, right? I mean, I think that's really, really important. But one thing, and we're talking about changing the way society works, one thing I was telling her was that, you know, our our mayor here in Seattle didn't run for re-election, and he was a pretty popular mayor from what I understand, because several men came out and said that he had abused them when they were children or teenagers. And I said, you know, what a beautiful thing, and this is really twisted, but that, you know, I don't know, David, was it 20 years ago that that gay men were still viewed as pedophiles and there was this whole sort of thing dumped on them that if this 
kind of stuff had happened in the media the way it has now, even 10 or 20 years ago, it would have reinforced that stereotype. And it was like somehow everything has gotten ahead of that so that nobody's even talking about that anymore. And yeah. that, to me, said a huge thing about progress, right, yeah. that, that people yeah, because could talk I'm, about I'm this always in, in a real in, way. You know, why people are, you know, they care so much about what other people do and have such strong opinions of um to make you know them feel horrible, and I that's why I have a lot of shows, different shows like that, and uh, I I have gay couples on, and it's so interesting because I I bring that out because I feel like you know on my show it's not just about books, it's about people, you know, and I I always that this does bother me how people have such strong opinions in a negative way. It's but, you know I don't see why somebody really should care that much about who somebody sleeps with or loves or whatever. I, I just, this is one of the, that's why I do a lot of shows on different topics, you know. Um, yeah, no, I think it's really important. There, there's a chapter in, in the book called Designated Innocence, Designated Perverts that I think talks about, about why that happens. I mean, the, the way I see it is there's always a group of people that that are designated by people in the mainstream as these are sickos, these are perverted yeah. people and 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 the message that goes out the, the reason that the society keeps somebody in that position and I talk in the article about how it's changed over over the decades or you know over the centuries in terms of who are the designated perverts back in the yep. 19, 19th century any woman who had any sexual desire whatsoever was considered a pervert in the same way that we now consider, say, pedophiles or I should perverts. So you know, so women had their clitorises removed so that they could be free of this desire that was going to turn them into perverts if they didn't do something about it. And then over the years, that notion of who were the perverts changed. So then it became okay for women to have sexual desire, but it did not. But then it was not okay for um, uh, for people to be gay. And for a long time, gay people were designated perverts. And now uh, we're moving moving on for that. But the purpose of the designated perverts is to be the example to everybody. This is what will happen to you if you let your sexual desire move anywhere outside this very very narrow channel that that society that the church that all, all sorts of uh, conservative forces in the society want to want to keep in place as a way of controlling people's sexuality so the message is if you are bad you will be punished you will be punished severely you will be thrown out of society you know you you will be beaten up on the street you will be humiliated because i i really believe that and this is uh this goes back to wilhelm reich who was one of freud's students back in the 30s and a, a brilliant thinker about the sexual about the politics of sexuality. And what he was saying is when you control people's sexuality, you take away their power and if you take away their power, everybody becomes easier to control. And that you need a, a if if you're if you're in the group that's in power and you want to maintain power, you want to disempower anybody who might rise up and overthrow you. And one way to do that is to take people's core life energy their sexuality away from them and one way to do that is to make everybody because everybody's 
if you take the number, if you add up all the people who are sexually unconventional in their minds, in their in their in their bodies, in their in their mm-hmm. natural desire, if you if you add the the gay people, the kinky people, you know, the people who uh, desire to have sex with somebody who's 50 years older than them or 20 years younger than them. If you add up all those people together, there are very few people whose natural sexual desire conforms very nicely to the straight and narrow. And but if you so if you convince all those people that are not in the straight and narrow that they there's something wrong with them and you take away their ability to express themselves fully sexuality which is a way to experience their own personal power and their, and their own you know their their true full life force then you make everybody easier to control and i think that that's the underlying politics of sexuality it's the the politics i mean i i abortion is a complicated issue because i think there are people who you know just genuinely feel that abortion is murder but but the use of abortion as a political tool uh taking away people's access to contraception taking away people's freedom to be sexual without having to worry about coming down with disease or getting pregnant or whatever this is a way that you keep people feeling intimidated and controlled and powerless right. and yeah. for the people in power there that's very handy because then everybody uh basically shuts up and and does what they're right told. because I do think that uh, on those issues it should be the person's choice i you know i i I will say that because I don't think that it should be political, and I don't know how it ever got into this whole you know it's been there for years, but I don't know why it should be because it has really nothing to do with anybody other than the people involved. So I, right, I just, but, but if you, you know, look at, at, at the way it lines up with people's politics, you know, the people yeah. who are sexually repressed are the people who are sexually, um, uh, who are politically conservative and the people who are authoritarian in general. And it's not yeah. a coincidence yeah. that those things line up across the board. Yeah, and we see it more now. And, you know, which when you think about it, you thought that some of these problems were over. But now, then they brought them all up again. And so I think that, you know, people were satisfied with the decision to do whatever they wanted to do. And now they may not be able to do what they want to do. And then they will still do it. And it will, people will be dying and bleeding to death and things like that with abortion because that is what happens. Because it's not, people are not going to stop getting abortions. They're just going to go like they did in years ago in the alleys and do and people were very sick and bleeding and bled to death and ended up in the hospital with infections and now without insurance they'll die so i mean right. this is really bad you know i mean because it really isn't anybody's business other than the people involved i feel and i think i agree with you on that and the politics of it is really a shame that we're going in that way we might be going backwards which would be very bad i think for people you know, I just don't think back is good. Forward is always better. Well, I think, I, I, you know, I tend to be an optimist in general. I mean, I, we, we, we're going through, it's been a long time now, but I think this really is a temporary phase because um, you can't you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. You know, the word the word is out about sexuality. The word is out. Yeah. It's, you may be able to but convince. But it's also about insurance. It's about everything. It's like it's all put together now in one thing because it, you know all of this does matter. It's about money. It's about every you know not having money to pay for. You know I worked for doctors for years and medically, 
you know, when people go to a doctor, this is a whole different subject, but people go to a doctor, yeah, and, and they can't get the medical attention they need. So there's so much now that's really wrong. I'm just hoping, it, like you say, that it will just be temporary. Yeah, well, it, it's a good uh, way know, to I'm, look at it. It's temporary. I, 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 I don't think we're going to go back to where um, I, gay people, you know, can't be at a at a club without being afraid that the cops are going to come right. breaking down the doors. I just, unless the country, you know, does a Nazi Germany in the 30s kind of thing, which I, you know, we're, we're certainly witnessing all the potential for that right now but especially after yesterday I, yeah. you know i i i think yeah. that um this is this is yes uh, I, I think it's a hopeful the reactions hopeful of a dying that, era yes. yeah and i think you know um you know um the holocaust and things like that no we never want to see any of those things again and i'm hopeful we never will you know, and it's a shame for the people that are still, you know, I've written a Holocaust book, so about a survivor. And, you know, the, the fact that any of the people that are still alive and they have to see this is kind of a bad thing because I think they really thought they'd never, ever hear a talk like this again. I really believe right. that because, right. and it's, it's it's sad. So I think that, you know, when a person like yourself and Sarah, you know, you, you write books like this and, you you know, Sarah's editing it. I mean, I think everything should be out there for people to see and make their own judgment. They don't have to read your book if they don't want to, but if they want to, that's a good thing because they can look at a book and just learn from it. doesn't mean they have to do it themselves, but it it's, it's just that's why the shows, I do a lot of different shows because I myself, after eight years of doing shows, have met people and learned things I never would have learned. So I think if people get, you know, if they open up their mind to a person like yourself looking at the photographs, talking about this, and I think, Sarah, you're right about this, to bring this out because this is the time, you know, to um, get this get this out there. I think people need to Did see you, this. Marcia? Yeah, and back to the abortion piece. Um, do you remember reading that in the book? That was one of the pieces that really drew me to this collection in the first place, because I had never read a man talk about this as being a, a part of the other end of it. Well, there is a, because and I thought people, that was. But I think that you know, and then I, every chapter, you know, and I. That you know, I I have to read some of them more thoroughly because uh, this is a long, this is a very detailed book, which I'm not used to because I really don't. You know, I, I hate to say I'm illiterate, but because I write and I do screenplays, I feel like I don't read as much as I used to. You know, has this book? Have you thought of doing? Uh, this is not an audio book, is it? Um, have you no, of we that? haven't done it as an audio book. Because uh-uh. audio books, you know. I I love audiobooks. I think a lot of people listen to audiobooks while they're doing other things, you know, and it's a really good, you know, it's a really good way to you get you catch every word. I'm the type of, you know, sometimes I do skim over things and for me when I hear it, it sticks in my brain. And I think, you know, um I wondered if you thought of doing an audiobook on this because there's a whole other market out there. Yeah, no, it's a, it, you know, it's a it's or a possibility. Or maybe several I mean, chapters, maybe not the entire. You know, you could probably do some of this in audio and put it out because 
every chapter is about a different thing. So I think, you know, I think you can probably, you know, because like a lot of times on Audible, when you put the books out, somebody has to, you know, decide, you can have somebody do it for you. And they you split it like, let's say, 50-50 is what they do. But, you know, um, it's a detailed yeah, no, book, I, but I, you have listen, to find the right person to do it. Yeah, and, you know, there are so many different mediums out there now for, for putting out the information. I, you know, again, I, I, to me the importance is to, to put out this kind of, you know, what I think of a sensible, I, I, the subtitle of the book is uh, A Radically Sensible Look at Sex in America because being sensible about sex is, is radical. You know, just and so to my way of thinking, what we can most usefully do um, politically uh, around these sexual issues is put out uh, a sensible point of view for for the people who are interested in hearing that. And you know, there will be whole swaths of the population who uh, don't want to go there. And, and and at least for you know, I I think that that. We, we all just have to accept that. But there is a group of people that does want to relate to sexuality, their sexuality, their personal sexuality, or sexuality in general, in a different way. When we when we did the the first book that I did, Erotic by Nature, our vision was people are going to pornography not because pornography is precisely what they want, but because that's all that is out there. And that if we put out an alternative pornography, there will be people who want want that, who want who want to to have that in their lives. There may not be as many of those people as there are people who just want to jack off to porn, but there are we a, a significant number of people and it turned out to be the case. We put out this book with a small publisher, it's an expensive art book, $45 book, and you know, we sold 15,000 copies, which is extraordinary for any art book, yeah. uh, let alone an art book with no money, publicity, and marketing behind it. So the, so what we believed, which was there is an audience, it may not be the majority, but there is a significant audience of people interested in relating to sex in a different way than what is available to them now. So what we should do is give people an alternative. And if you know if people reject the alternative and, and go on with something else, oh well. But at least we, we present the option to look at things differently. And, it, and my notion is that over time, more and more people will be interested in doing that. It may even be a, you know, there's a the whole gener- generational thing. The the kids who are growing up now are the, I call them kids who are now in their 20s or, you know, early 30s, have grown up in a different world than the people who are 20 years older than them, let alone the people who are 50 years older than them. It, it, all of this uh, uh, sexual general attitude about sexuality is changing so rapidly that to be a teenager in 2017 is not the same as being a teenager in 2007 or, no. you know, no. uh, 1997. Do you want to talk about trafficking? And, you know, because I think that's a, an issue, you know, to... Well, I had a question for David, actually, oh, okay. before we go yeah. to that. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, so there's a piece where you talk um, about men and pornography, um, back to that, where you discuss the idea of scarcity. 
which was, I think, the first time that I had ever really thought about that. Um, and I'd recently been reading more um, about the pickup artist community and this new thing called Real Social Dynamics, which seems like just a rebranding of that same sort of idea. And they they talk about scarcity. They also, you know, get pretty misogynistic and sort of awful at sometimes. Um, but I wanted to kind of see what you thought about that whole thing from that sort of lens, I guess, or that way of looking at it with, you know, sex being supposedly scarce for men and supposedly plentiful plentiful for women. Well, you know, that's certainly where it's been. Now, perhaps that's changing, uh, you know, as we're saying, with the younger people now, or at least some younger people, you know, people in urban places, uh, liberal urban places. But, in, but historically, you know, the, men want it, women have it, um, women give it to men sometimes women trade on on it in in reality you know uh uh to get from men what they want from men because the women are become the gatekeepers to sexuality it's the the role that women were assigned right men are beasts and it's women's job to tame them for the good of civilization and the good of society in general that's why in the 19th century any woman who had sexual desire of her own was considered a pervert and a, a threat to law and order uh, because if women don't contain the sexual beast who will right so that that's the notion that people come from that's uh you know i i i was a teenager in the 50s you know when um sex was still scarce birth con uh, generally available birth control had not really happened yet there were condoms but not birth control pills yet uh you know the arrival of birth control is what in in part what changed all of that because for the first time women didn't have to worry about being pregnant so they didn't right. need to be the gatekeepers about sexuality in the way that they that they had before but the way it grew up was that um you know men had a lot of sexual desire and and women um uh, there was a scarcity for the men and i think what pornography and that's why this was the first piece i ever wrote about sexuality was trying to look at why, why do men like porn so much if you take away because men are weird and just kind of give some you know if, if everybody's feeling this it must be speaking to something and trying to look at what that was. And one of the things that I saw in porn was that men wanted the, the idea that there were women out there who were just dying to be sexual with them anytime, anywhere, anyway, uh, that that was an exciting thought, right? So, uh, and, you know, and whether sluts, meaning women who have a lot of sexual desire, was a negative term and, and then could be turned into a positive term is is a whole other story. But, you know, I think pornography represented an expression of male frustration. And I think a lot of male sexual anger, uh, and, and I'm not saying this to justify, you know, what, what happens to women as a result of this, but just trying to understand the the dynamics involved. A lot of male sexual anger comes out of, feeling this is unfair you know in one sense i'm told that i'm i'm supposed to have all of, of this desire i do have all of this desire how come i can't um just have it all be okay and and women become um the targets for uh, for that for that anger so i, I you know when we look at 
you know, why, and we, you know, when we look at date culture and rape culture and all of that, and why, why does it get so crazy weird out there? But you know, with the the way the men treat the women, and and I I think that it comes from that that's the root root cause of it. That there is this um, this power. It's it's a reverse power balance. You know, yes, men have all all kinds of power in society that women are only now uh, getting access to. But in terms of, of sexual um, permission, um, the, the, I mean, in one sense, men were told it's okay to be sexual in ways that women were told it's not. But the women still held held the key, right? And and yeah. this was a, a source of tremendous uh, frustration for the men. And I think the men were correct to be angry and frustrated about that. The problem was that the target for that shouldn't be the women. It should be the culture that sets up this whole system to begin with. And if people redirect their anger from the nearest target at hand to the real source of where their problem is coming from, then, you know, instead of being reactive, essentially people become... uh, I think women have... I I think women have... um, express the the fact that they are wanting to be more sexual than they were in the past. I mean, you know, it's when you're on Facebook and let's say somebody um, puts a picture of a guy, this is always amazing to me, you put a guy on without a shirt on a cover and women are insane. They're all sharing it and loving it and they got comments and, you know, and it's amazing how many will be looking at that and going like, you know, and they have a lot of comments. And you can put anything else out, and they won't even know that anything is there. But they are attracted to the men. That's why a lot of these covers, and they, and I so I think they're expressing it now more than they ever did. Because I don't yes. think women yeah. were, could say that, oh, guy, this guy is sexy or whatever. But now they, it's okay for them. So now they're really, you know, and. and I, the, some of the comments that I hear, and you know, uh, it, it's shocking sometimes. I'm going like, okay, you know, and but that when you notice a lot of the romance books now, a lot of them have males without their shirt on because that for them, and they they don't. A lot of them don't like women on the cover because they want to picture themselves there. And I was surprised to hear that when I first started doing stories like that. They were talking about that, and I thought it was interesting how. They imagine themselves with the guy, not yeah, whoever is no, in the not, yeah, not whoever is in the book, but whoever is on the cover is their guy now. Right. No, I, I yeah, I, I think the women women coming into their own about sexual desire yeah. is certainly one of the big changes that um, that has happened and and is not going to be turned back at least for some people you know there are there are corners of the society where women are still being told that they shouldn't have much desire and they should you know swear to be uh chased until they get married and and all this kind of stuff so it it's not like everybody in the US is in agreement about this but certainly in i think for the majority of people in in the US that is the case, you know, uh, for some, well, some. Well, we have a lot of we have a lot of people that you know are lis- listening to the shows on archives, you know, and with children. What what would what's the best age for parents to really start discussing this so they can you know um, help their children get through adolescence because it's hard. 
What would oh, you yeah. say is a good way and what they should do? Because I think that a lot of people out there don't know what to do and how to even well, I think go about it. five is the age I heard. How old? <laughs> five? Really? Five. five? Because at five, yeah. I wouldn't tell them everything, but, but I was pretty yeah. open with my kids. And the reason is because after that, you have no idea what they're going to hear at school. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. you know, you've got parents that let their kids watch, you know, any kind of thing or talk to them and, you know, calling women constant, you know, whatever they're going to do. Yeah. And these kids come to school with that. And, you know, some kid was calling my daughter a, a bitch and was doing all these kind of things in middle school. Well, she had context. She had understanding. It still wasn't pleasant. Yeah. And then when she came out, it still wasn't, you know, wasn't a big deal where, you know, had we been a, a religious family who said that this is just wrong and my faith tells me that it's, you know, wrong for people to love the same sex. And then all of a sudden she comes to me and says, Mom, I think I like girls. I'll say, oh, honey, that's okay. Yeah. You can't undo yeah. that whole lifetime of telling them that that's wrong. So right. I think the earlier the better. I mean, you, you pare it down to their age, of course. But I think the earlier the better, because otherwise you don't know what they're going to get, and they need to have some kind of context in their head when they get it. Yeah. You know, people. I mean, people who who do this work in general uh, talk about it, it, when the kids start asking questions. That's when you start answering their questions. It, you know, it's something you have to uh, inundate whatever your five-year-old, your ten-year-old, whoever, with yeah. all the sexual information that you want them to get at some point in their lives. But but when they start asking questions or, uh, you know, as is likely to happen, when they start coming on to you as, as, as their parent, which kids do, do you respond out of fear or do you respond out of understanding? And, you know, I think that that has to do with, Children in general, people like to think that children do not have a sexuality of their own, and it's just not true. It's not the same as adult sexuality, but it's real, and people uh, want to deny it, generally speaking. And especially with adolescents, I mean, I just hear so many parents who dread when their kids are going to become adolescents because they just they are just terrified of adolescence, maybe from yeah. their own adolescent experience. I, I had a weird adolescent experience, which was difficult in some ways, but was also um, exhilarating in, in, in many ways. I think, I think of adolescence as one of the high points of life. It's difficult and it's confusing, but it's time when people are just tuned in and sharp and paying attention and uh, just amazing. But I, And I hear so many parents, that as their kids become adolescents, they're terrified that they're afraid for their kids that something is going to happen to them. I think that they project their own feelings from their own adolescence onto their kids. And, you know, it, if, if directly or subliminally you're saying to your kid, oh, my God, this is a really scary, dangerous time, um, by which I think they mean coming into your sexuality is a scary, dangerous thing to be doing. 
um, if that's which the may, bias, which may harm them later on, which may give them all the wrong ideas. Then yeah, that's exactly where they get, and then the kids start yeah. getting confused. You know, there was yeah. I, I live in Santa Cruz. There was a, 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 a radical school down in Big Sur at, at the time that my son, who's now in his forties, was growing up, and I was I was fascinated with this school, and they they had all you know it was a kind of a hippie school, and they had all these kids running around naked, and the kids would start playing with each other, you know, playing with each other's genitals, fooling around. That's what kids do. And yeah. this school regarded that as healthy and normal. So when kids started doing that, they didn't tell them to stop. They just, you know, they, they were careful that nobody was um, making somebody feel bad. But yeah. just the notion that you would be curious, you know, I'll show you mine if you'll show me yours, they just let that go because they had an accepting attitude about it. They were not afraid of what the kids were doing. I think it's when, when as parents, as older people, we become afraid of, of what our teenagers are doing or even the younger kids. And this is a whole another big topic. But, um, you know, people don't want – they want to pretend that kids uh, have no sexuality. And it's it's just – I mean – it's just it's factually untrue so i i think it's more a question of looking at yourself or if as a parent you know that you have your own issues your own fears about yeah. sexuality the the best you can do is to be conscious of that and say to your kids look i've got issues about this so it's not like i know everything but but you know and then you try to manage your own fears and biases. Yeah, because um, you really don't want to, right, you don't want them to grow up with the fears that you've had, you know, and so if you have fears, you know. But I think that that's a, that's a good thing to think about for people that are listening, you know, don't instill your fears in kids because they do pick up what the parents, you know, it's very easy for kids to pick up the emotions. Parents don't think so, but they can tell at a very young age how their parents feel about a lot of things. And, and how, know, much, how much how much do the kids know important. about their how much do the kids know about their parents' sexuality? You know, do they yeah. witness their parents' sexuality? I mean, I don't mean like watching their parents when they're right. having intercourse, but you know, did do they in my family um I was told that sex was a wonderful and powerful thing. At the same time, my mother was an extremely private person, and all the time I was growing up, I never once saw my parents give each other a passionate kiss or a hug or my father grab my mother's ass or anything like that. So I was told, well, it's this wonderful thing, but but right, you can't see anything. Place, it's right, like yeah. it's wonderful and mysterious. And yeah. you know, I, I guess I still hold the notion that sex is wonderful and mysterious. But you know, that that was that was the attitude that I grow, grew up with. Not not because my parents were sexually repressive, which they really were not, but because um, they just held us to be very private. So you know. So how did the they feel? About, were they alive? For, for kids, are, are, have they were they alive when you did this, or are, you know, this work? When I did which, twenty years. When you've been doing work like this for 20 years. Oh, yeah. No, my, well, my mother died 25 that? years ago. My my father, oh, who's 97, really? is, oh, is still alive. So, yeah. Oh, um, your father's alive? Oh, that's great. Yeah. So, um, and my mother always, uh, she was accepting of me being a sexual person, but she wasn't accepting of the ways that I was sexual that was not 
conventional, you know, and yeah. she thought I was a pervert, and we're, we're, and she took it as being her fault. You know, my mother really? was a therapist. Oh, well, she was yeah. a therapist, you know, and oh, you know oh, what, what, what <laughs> well, did I do? Right. What, yes. what did I do wrong that David is interested in yeah, swingers yeah. parties? You know, it's like um, so. On my father, on the other hand, was very accepting. So. Um, you know, it it was kind of a, a mixed. And, and when I was a teenager, my the bet we never had a talk. But my pa- there was a book. I think it was called, if I remember correctly, it was called a marital guide to something or other. But it it was basically oh a doctor's guide to marital happiness or something like that. But it basically had a lot of basic sexual information, uh, not so much emotional information, but certainly, yeah. you know, factual information. And I was the, and I was the only kid who had anything like that. So I was a, I was the star. I had this okay. book. Everybody wanted, everybody <laughs> wanted to see this book. And my parents' notion yeah. was give him a book and let him read about it, which actually is, yeah, a, well. is a pretty good thing for parents to do because then you don't have to be worried about transmitting yeah. your own fears yeah. and biases to your kids. Yeah, because as parents, I mean, I think, you know, which, you know, everything happens, you know, if you think back, you go like, oh, my parents told me this or that, whatever, and some of it does stick, you know, whether you want it or not, it's still in your head, you know, and sometimes what parents unfortunately say to kids does stay in their head, which is sad if it's something so intense, but sometimes, you know, parents can't help it, they just do it, you know, they're not trying to hurt their child, they think they're doing them a favor, but they're not. Sometimes, you know, as as an older person, you have experience, so you you can offer a certain amount of of older person wisdom to your kids. As long as you're not doing it in a way that... Sometimes kids don't think that, though. They don't think their parents, they don't visualize them that way. That's that's one of the things, because you've seen that all the time. They go, oh... No, don't talk about it. You know, they don't want to hear about their parents. You know, you've seen this a million times ago, like, oh, too much information, <laughs> enough, right, you know. Right, Yeah, and so I think, you know, these are good, you know, I mean, it's so interesting to talk to you about this. I mean, Sarah, I, it's very interesting, all of this, because, you know, it's uh, you've worked for years doing this. So uh, I think that you have so much going on and so much that people could learn, you know, by what you're saying. And um, we could stay in a little while longer because, you know, it's fine if that's okay. Is there something you want to talk about that we missed at this time? You know, Sarah, David? I'm pretty good. I think we've gotten to all of my points. (laughs) David, I think, could go on forever. but Yes. Well, you know, it is a topic that isn't, you're not going to run out, you know, it's not going to get it all settled in. Right, right. that's why, you know, I... I have a lot of guests on again, and we do talk about so many issues because I do think it's important to talk about things. You know, you can't just, you know, close your eyes and pretend this doesn't happen. So I think that, you know, a healthy conversation about this is a good idea, you know. And your book is on Amazon, right? I know that Book Trope is not... Yeah, so but Trump doesn't stuck? exist anymore. But, right, but, I know that. I have several book, authors um, that have been on. I know, you know. But I, I, I put it, yeah, it's on, up on Amazon. I, I have my own yes, publishing I company there, also, yes. so this thing yeah. called Sex is up there for people right, who are interested. There. There are, yeah. There's a number. You have other books from the past. I do have other books, books also, yes. so, and they're all, they're all up there on Amazon, so. Yes, because I saw that, and I didn't, you know, because I know I've had several authors on from Book Trope that, you know, which – they had a lot of authors, so you know, and so they had to make alternatives, you know, which is what's happening now. 
So it's probably smart for people to start thinking about maybe learning how to get this done themselves, you know, because it, it happens a lot. There's a lot of people that I've had on these shows that their publishers have gone out of business. It's hard right. to be a publisher. I think the good thing, though, about Book Trope, as opposed to other publishers that I've heard about, I just want to throw this in, is that all the authors got their rights back. They were able to do yes, whatever I they know wanted that. to that do was with a good their books yes. yeah. right away. Because people have died, in, like books have died in in this so exact situation. Right. Yeah. And that, that is bad. And, you know, so, and I think that, you know, for people that are listening, because, you know, I, I try to tell them things like that, that's a good thing is to try to figure out what, you know, make sure that if something does happen with wherever you're published, that you can have your rights, you know, and that you this is yours. So they have to make sure, because sometimes they don't have their rights. And that's, well, yeah, if they and, don't have agents or somebody backing well, them up. You know, you, but, but, right, they, they should have their rights, and that's why if they do it themselves, there's so many companies out there that can help them. You know, I use Fidelity, and there's a lot of pe- places that, you know, you can go to that they'll help you do the book, but you're, they don't own any of your rights. Yeah. You know, because oh, when you, know you give your rights... Hmm? Pardon? Oh, no, yeah, about rights, we can... But there was one other point that I actually did forget yeah. that I shouldn't okay. have. All right, go ahead. Go ahead. It uh, was Marco Vossi. And I wanted oh, to we forgot to talk about talk that. About oh, my God. <laughs> we didn't even talk about that. Jeez. Okay. Go ahead. Right. Go ahead. I, I, David, did yeah. you want to start on – or I kind of talked about him in my little intro thing, so. Well, I, I mean, the short – form is uh, Marco Vossi was um, an erotic writer in the 70s and 80s. He he wrote 13 novels and hundreds and hundreds of articles, uh, 13 uh, erotic novels, well, what he some of which he would call erotic novels and some of which he would call porn garbage because um, he had to pay the bills sometimes. And this is back in the 70s when there were all these little porn pocketbooks and stuff like that. But he, he, of the erotic writers at that time, or the porn writers at, at that time, he was unique because, A, he, he was serious about sexuality in general, and, B, he wanted to uh, in, include a lot of his almost philosophical thinking about sexuality and what it was all about in in his fiction, as well as in the didactic articles that, that he wrote. So I, I, a friend turned me on to him at some point, and um, I published one of his stories, in Erotic by Nature, the, the first book that I did in 1988. And I met him a few times before. He died in 1989, basically, of AIDS. And um, um, I, I, I think he's a, a fascinating uh, guy. He, he was went through one sexual subculture after another exploring his own sexuality uh as well as as uh, just being uh i know just what he was doing with his life and and at that time in and he was in new york for the most part although he also spent some time in california uh, but in New York during the 70s and 80s, the kind of radical sexual underground focused on a club called the Hellfire Club, and 
there was a swingers place called Plato's Retreat that opened at that time, and and there were there were a lot of things going on. There gay clubs. This was you know during um, um, the time when the gay movement was was just coming up to the surface, and so on. Anyway, I've been I've been intrigued with him forever. I got to know a lot of people that were close to him, and the current project that I'm working on is is writing a screenplay, uh, not for a documentary, but for what I think will be, uh, I hope will be a, a drama based on Marco's life and also talking about this this radical time in the, in the New York sexual underground. So, um, Well, I think people, uh, this is the time for those things now because I do think people are interested, you know, in, in having, in watching movies and, you know, you can, are you taking it to Netflix or places like that or HBO? Well, I'm, I'm just beginning. Yeah, I'm just getting to the point. Uh, I'm still collecting material and just beginning to really uh-huh. write the write the the screenplay itself. But uh, yeah, there there's a you know the the everybody says you should do this now because of the deuce, which I think is a, a right, brilliant, which is what I, uh, right, and and I and we talked about that on the phone a little, you know, and. Um, I think you know. I think it was really very interesting, and like some of the things I've been watching lately, some of them at the beginning are not as great. But if you keep watching them, because I think what's wrong with what's happening with people is if they don't find the first and second, you know, part of the series good, they don't even continue on. Or you know, and it, it does get better because I do think people forget that there's a beginning, middle, and end of a book and a story. So I think that. If they watch it, they'll by the time they get further in, it really does get good, you know. And I, I know that they did they did good research. I, they they consulted with Annie Sprinkle, a friend of mine who was involved in uh, both sex work and the porn porn world um, during that time, and that whole Times Square um, sexual scene that was going on. So they they actually took the trouble to consult with people who have, um, you know, a, a, a more than a superficial understanding of, of what that what those worlds were, were like. So there's yeah. at least the potential for them to take the show in a useful direction. I, I think that they they have a good take on sex work, which is one of the issues, the political issues that I'm, I've been writing about and following forever. And um, I think that they... You know, they they show the um, the difficult sides of the sex world subculture, and but they also uh, make the point that it's possible for a woman to be doing sex work and be in charge of her own life, and and um, not to be doing something stupid, and but actually making a positive choice about how she wants to be in the world and and some, at least some of the scenes that they show between sex workers and clients I think have, have been brilliant to kind of break down the stereotypes both of who the sex workers are and who the clients are um, so you know I, I think that it um, it's really doing a lot of positive yeah, because the clients work. are very different you know as, as opposed to the clients at that time were very different than in girlfriend experience is they're very it's on the corporate level they're escorts for the corporate level and which is a whole different you know um type of a whole different world yeah which is which is not the part of sex work that that 
the deuce is talking about, right? No, They're it's completely. About. But when you but when you see from then to now, it's very different. I wrote, you know, my uh, my guilty pleasure book was about escorts, you know, and she was a doctor who needed money, and they made a lot of money. The the, the ones that I have in the book, two thousand or three thousand an hour and gifts. It's a whole different culture at that point because these are executives. And that the girlfriend experience is like that. That's on, I think it's Showtime. And it's very different to watch, you know. And I, it was interesting when I talked to you at the beginning of our, we weren't on the area, that, um, Sarah, you mentioned, like, Secretary, where Maggie Gyllenhaal was in that. You know, very few people that I, you know, I watch a lot of everything. And I think that that's one thing that people need to watch a lot of everything out there to see. You know, you learn so much. You know, I didn't. I, I don't. I, nobody that I know has ever seen Secretary. So when you were saying that, you know, I think that we still have a society where people don't want to watch certain things, and they don't even know what they're about. They just say no. Well, this is books too, though reading. The same thing. I would go through this on my show all the time. You know, that's why I have all these shows of different topics because. You know, we go through the same thing. Is this too much erotic? And I am myself, you know, and especially after talking to you, I think this is a good thing to realize because it was hard for me to um, do the sex scenes in some of the books. So I had some help, you know, where people were, you know, helping me, what, you know, making it more playful or whatever. And some people are very good at that. And that was not my best, you know, I was not great at that. And, and I'm learning to get it over my my, get over myself because I would always say, okay, this is my book, and you know, just don't pay attention to this. It's a, it's a very sexy book, and then now I'm finally at the point where, yeah, this is a good story, so forget about it. You know, what I mean, just read the book. So I, for myself, I've learned because it is hard for people it's a lot of times to get over the fact of what you're reading. And, and we have tons of I have tons of authors on that. You know, we talk about this a lot, and some people it comes easy to to be able to write like this. Well, they should all read Marco Vossi and study yeah. with Jack Remick and Priscilla Long. And <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, Marcia, you should, you should read a couple of Marco's uh, novels because yes. um, he, he really um, shows how to, you know, write very explicit sexual scenes in a way and and um, I noticed that he, didn't have, he couldn't find a publisher a lot of times in those years. He couldn't find a publisher to do it. Yeah, he well, did, he was lucky because he connected up early on with Maurice Herodias, who who did Olympia Press. You know, he was the person who first published Henry Miller in this country, and and so on. So, um, and Herodias got a hold of uh, the first novel that Marco wrote, and he loved it. So, you know, that, now that was that's not the same as getting a hold of Random House, but, you know, it, it was... Um, no, but, it was I think the, it, but I think it is interesting how over the years it has changed so much, and even for myself, because I I had never, ever thought of writing an erotic book and um, because I had all the authors on, and they were the most fun of, on my shows because they were so, in, you know, they weren't inhibited at all, and they were not whining, and they were just so happy and fun. I said, well, I think I should be trying this, you know, and I really, it's very freeing, and I really liked it. And so I am 
you know, because when I started writing scripts 20 years ago, it, it was different. I, I had I I myself had to write under a man's name, Max Irving, because I think that it was hard for me even to you know to, to writing police stories. I thought the other, which was the case then. It was different. There weren't as many women screenwriters, you know, at that time. Right. And life has changed so much, and I have changed because you know it was difficult for me. Now I it's. Now I just say, yes, I write this, you know, and that's fine, you know. And um, I, I write it under another name, Lady Jane Sinclair, but I also tell people because because I have a show, I felt like I had to, look, a lot of people don't use their name. And I feel like how can I talk about this if I have a show and I feel like it, it would be not realistic for me to just hide that I wrote those. So I tell people that's the name I've used, but because I have children's books, and it is that's how I know what a very difficult society this is because when they know I'm a children's writer and that a lot of people won't have me at schools or things, and, I, and that's ridiculous. Right. There's right. nothing to do with me. So that's how I know this is still out there in a big way. Yes. You know, but yeah, I did I, put it all on my website because that's how it goes. People have to understand that life is this way, so they have to open up. And I'm, after a show like this, I think this is a good thing. People need to open up, no matter what age you are. It's not about yeah, within I, your book; you have all ages. I mean, this is not just twenty and thirty-year-olds, right? Which Absolutely. is a good thing. Absolutely. So, Sarah, anything else you'd like to talk about before we go? No, I just wanted to make sure we did not miss that one. I know that. (laughs) I can't believe that. David, anything else you'd like to say before we end it? Um, Not in particular. It's it's been great talking with you. Okay, this is fun, and I hope you'll come back. And then we'll have to have Jack Remick with us. We'll add him in here. That sounds like fun. It will be fun. All right, and thank you so much, and thank you all for listening, and um, good night. And you wanted to, we'll just mention that it's called The Thing We Call Sex, This Thing We Call Sex. This Thing, yeah. Yep, and David Stein. A radical look at sex in America. Right, and you have to look for, and it's not the David Steinberg that's been on TV. No, 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 no. Not the comedian. But they all, I know, you know, it comes up as soon as you look you up. That's where it comes. I know. So, it's it's you know. one of those names. That's true. That's true. It is. I'm sure you get that all the time. Yeah, I do. Although um, I, it was a great moment for me. It, at one point I wrote an article for a magazine called The Realist that a guy named Paul Krasner, a wonderful um, man, edits in uh, down in L.A., and somebody saw my article on The Realist and asked David Steinberg, the comedian, if he had written it. And oh, he, okay. So he had to call up Paul and say, "Who is this guy?" And I was, I was very. Well, now was he knows great. you. It was a great <laughs> moment you. in my life that right. he got mistaken for me. Right. I, now I he knows you. Anyway, but it, but you think of it uh, that yeah, way. He knows it, you now. He knows you now. That's a good thing. If if you go to Amazon and and look up David Steinberg, you can you know, or put David Steinberg in sex or something like that, then it'll it'll get you to uh, all the various things that I've been doing. Yeah, and you have you have there's a lot that you've been doing. That's true. I have it's on, been... on our webpage and right, it's uh, you know, on the show page, it's, you know, www.davidsteinberg.us. 
Oh, yeah, I should mention that, too. That is my website, davidsfenberg.us. And Sarah's is on there, too, because It has Sarah my too. photography and my writing. And, um, so people and the that blogs are and, and all the things you've done. There's a lot. There's a lot. Yeah, and if anybody wants to get in touch with me, if anybody wants to do a photo shoot, um, that's that's the way to get in touch. Is, yes, is and uh, the Sarah's is www.mywildskies.com. And, Sarah, you are are you taking clients on for editing? It would depend on the client, definitely. Okay. I'm, I've got a day job now, but if okay. the right project came along, I would definitely work on it. And and I, this is very thorough, and so this is a good project that you. This is is a very thorough book. Editing cool, is not you. my thing. Editing is not. I I I, I need editing every. I, I'm not a good editor. My I, I don't edit any of my own things. No well, way. I should say we also had a copy editor and a, a formatter and a designer and a well, lot of people. Well, you need that, of course. Book, so. Right, and that's what yeah. people need. You know, and, right. And before we go, I should say that because Michigan Avenue Media, uh, my company, I think after January I will be consulting and telling people because I uh, over the last 20 years I'm seeing all these people going to places and they really are not getting the right quality. And they're paying a lot of money, so I think that maybe I can help them out. I didn't, I didn't intend on doing this because I was an agent and I stopped doing all of that. But I really see how much people are, you know, they're really getting ripped off a lot, and I feel very bad. So I will try to help them if they need to go to places, you know, for services. That's why I'm asking if you, you know, if there's a so it's a special project then, okay. Yeah, I would say, I mean, if you look at this book, this is a really excellent example of the kind of thing that I, I mean, I worked on this through a couple really awful events in my own life, and it was the one thing that really kept me sort of centered and going. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I'm so glad, really, I'm very glad you both came on. It's been a very enjoyable show, and I hope you'll come on again. And Sarah, I'm so glad to see you back in the game. Thank you, Marcia. Thank you for having me. And yeah, thanks, good night, for, everybody. thanks for the Thank chance to talk. Thank you, David, so much. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Uh, goodbye, everybody. It's late already okay, here. Okay, bye, Marcia. I'm still up. I, well, a lot of people, they're up. I see everybody out there a lot of times. <laughs> good night, everybody. Bye-bye. Good, good night. night. Bye. Have a bye good bye. night.